This is uh, my last Sunday before I leave for sabbatical, and I'll be back. Uh, so I thank you for your prayers and just the encouragement. Uh, I look forward to a time of refreshment and refilling, considering the last seven years of ministry and what God has been doing and what he has showed me, and also looking forward to seven more years to come and, and what God has in store for me and, and for the church. And so I'm looking forward to that. And I was thinking, you know, while I'm gone, well, first of all, for you, I get this great benefit of being able to take this time off, and most people don't get that. But uh, God may be showing you rhythms of rest that you can incorporate into your every day or into every week. And where is God calling you to show you that it's okay to let go and just to, to rest and to uh, build rhythms of Sabbath into your life? Um, also, while I'm gone, there's going to be a lot of guest preachers preaching, and I just encourage you to be open to whatever God has in store for you as we have all these guest preachers. And I just wanted to say up front that nobody's here auditioning. So you don't have to, when somebody comes here to preach, you don't have to think, hmm, are we interviewing this person? And hmm, would this person, would I want this person to be my pastor? You can put all that aside and you can just say, hey, what is the Lord showing me through his word and through this person who's bringing the word today? And, um, and, and just, um, yeah, just pray God's blessing over you as, as I take some time away. And I thought, you know, I'm leaving, so let's leave on a real high note. We're going to preach a sermon on goodness. We've been preaching through all the fruit of the Spirit, and we get to this one of goodness and doing good and being good, and this is a really positive message. And then as I got going, I realized this is really a message about sin. And I'm leaving on that. Well, I'm leaving either way. So, uh, And it can feel like a kind of a low note, and it can be kind of an unpopular topic, so and we have this wonderful family uh, visiting and supporting with baptism, and, and here goes the pastor harping about sin. And, but I ask you this question, though, and it's an important topic for us, because think about our world. When you think about how is the world doing, or how is our community doing, is the world increasingly a better place or increasingly a worse place right now? Do we live in a time of Increasing goodness and virtue or increasing moral decay? Do we live in a world of increasing peace and harmony or do we live in a world of increasing war and tension? Do we see love and unity among peoples or do we see increasing animosity and division? And as you consider those kind of questions, I'm sure that you could think of things that are actually quite beautiful and good that are increasing in our world today. And you could probably think of things in our world that are uh, evil and not good. And we want to see goodness, and we want to see God's goodness extending in our world. And that's why this is a good topic for us today. Um, God created the world good. He meant it for good. When God created all things, he looked at it and he said, this is very good. So there's a goodness to God's creation, but there's also a deep brokenness? And can we in some way bring the goodness back? And can we just ourselves be good? And can we, you know, better be good for goodness sake, as the wise author of Santa Claus is coming down would say? Can we just be good for goodness sake? And what is the standard of goodness? How do I even know what's good and what's evil if we all have a different standard of that? What is, what is good enough? What is generous enough? 
What is loving enough? What, when have I done enough? And here in 1 John chapter 1 in the New Testament, we have the ultimate measure of goodness. And it's right here in verse 5, this first verse here. It says, this is the message we have heard from him and we declare to you. God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. That is the standard. That God is light and in him there is no darkness. One writer said this. He said, God is absolute in holiness. In him there is no darkness at all. Because he is perfect in character, in him is found no flaw, no darkness, no mistake, no weakness, no easygoing way regarding evil, and no overlooking the least defiling element. We are called as God's people to be holy as he is holy. So if our goodness is supposed to reflect his goodness, then we need to be, get this, really, really good. However, it's hard to be good, and there's actually things that we believe about goodness and about sin that will keep us from experiencing and keep us away from pursuing God's goodness in our lives. And we're going to look at three of these beliefs. And they're all, they're all claims. Look at verse 6. says, if we claim, and then in verse 8, if we claim, and then again in verse 10, if we claim. This is on the back of your bulletin, by the way. Um, if we claim. It's these three claims that actually keep us away from God's goodness, and I want to um, explore those. Let me, let me stop here and pray. So, Father God, I thank you for uh, that you've called us together this morning to worship you, to reflect on your word. Lord, I believe everybody in this room is here for a reason. And I pray that you, Lord, would make that reason known to us as we look at your word. We do acknowledge that you are pure light, that you are pure holiness, and we help us to understand your heart in your way, Lord. Be our teacher in this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, the first claim, the first false claim that keeps us from goodness is this is that sin does not hurt my relationship with God. Sin does not hurt my relationship with God. We see this in verse 6. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. And the question is today, do people actually believe that? Do they believe that, uh, that sin doesn't hinder their relationship with God? And I actually think a lot of people believe that. People believe you know, that God exists, there's a God who made the world, and God wants me to be good, and God wants me to be happy, uh, but, um, I, I, but I, I want, and I want to have a connection with this God who wants me to be happy and wants me to be good, but I want that kind of on my terms. You know, I want God's help, and I want God's blessings, but I don't want him to totally invade and make me one of those people. Um, I, he's not the Lord of that person's life. And the evidence of that is they're, they're walking in darkness. So basically the attitude is, I want God in my life, but I want to live my life the way that I want to live my life. And someone who believes this might say, look, God just accepts me as I am, and he accepts you as you are, and we're all fine, and don't worry about it. But here's the problem. Sin is always a barrier in our relationship with God. And people can do things that look very spiritual and feel very spiritual, but it's 
a lie. And the starting point of faith is seeing God's perfection, his holiness, and seeing our imperfection, our sinfulness. And that's where faith begins. I first came to know that when I was a child. I was just five years old, and my mother taught me this. I was listening to a cassette tape of uh, Christian music, so my mother uh, loved Jesus very much, and I was listening to this good music, and I stayed up late one night to the end of the tape, and this guy, a voice came onto the tape talking about asking Jesus into your heart. That totally freaked me out, because Jesus was way too big to fit in my heart. He had to be at least six feet, because my grandfather was six feet. I was five, I don't know why. But six foot Jesus never fit in my life. And my mom came in and explained, no, no, it's, it's receiving Jesus' forgiveness. It's about inviting his spirit into your life because, because you're a sinner. You do things wrong. And I said, oh, yeah, that's me. I know I'm a sinner, and I know I need a savior. It was just, it seemed so obvious to me because I knew that I would do things wrong. I would intentionally do things wrong even as a kid. But what happens is as we, as we, grow as we come to understand life, we feel like, you know, you know, maybe it's, maybe I do have life figured out, right? And I want the God thing, but I want it on my terms. But here's the terms that God gives us. Look at verse 7. It says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So walking in the light includes turning away from the darkness, turning away from the sin and the brokenness, and receiving his grace, receiving his love, receiving what Jesus did on the cross, that Jesus had to go to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, that we can be forgiven and cleansed. And this is a purifying thing. And this brings us fellowship, not just with God, but look here, it says fellowship with one another. That we can then, we are now reconciled to God, we can reconcile with one another, and we can truly live good lives towards one another. But it starts with the fact of realizing that I am not good and that this is a problem. If you're here today and you ever feel stuck in your prayer or you feel cold towards God and, or if you're living in a way that you know dishonors God, we can only know, know true fellowship with God if we deal with the fact of our brokenness and our sinfulness and we can walk in the light and allow Jesus to purify us. And you can have this today. You can have this before you even leave this room. If you want to pray with somebody later, uh, over here by the organ after the service, we have a prayer team. And just come forward and pray with them. And we would love to see you turn in faith to God today. But that's the first claim is that, you know, uh, sin doesn't really hurt my relationship with God. Second claim. We see this one in verse 8. The second claim that will keep us from true goodness is the claim, sin doesn't exist in my nature. Look at verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So the idea here, if, if somebody were to believe this, or what it would look like today, somebody would say this, look, there are no absolutes. You live the way you want to live, I'll live the way I want to live. You do what's right for you, I'll do what's right for me. Let's not hurt each other, but we'll just, just do your thing. And because we're all good, there's no real sinful nature, or, or you know, you're not born with you know, a sin nature, original sin, that sort of thing. 
which is, you know, people are generally good. But now when people do evil things, that's because, it's, that's, uh, because of social causes. That's because somebody else harmed them or somebody else, uh, you know, taught them evil. But people are generally good. And uh, it's, so it's more of a psychological or a social problem. It's not really about sin, claiming to be without sin. But here's the problem. That sin is real. And it's, it's within us. Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, I don't understand what I do. What I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And it is... It, you know, as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. And I know nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Or This whole sermon series, we've been preaching through the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit is goodness. And it's what God's Spirit is producing in us. But what God's Spirit wants is in conflict with our brokenness, our flesh, our sinful nature. Galatians 5. The sinful nature desires what's contrary to the Spirit, Spirit, what's contrary to the sinful nature. There's a battle. And if we deny there's a battle, that is where this leads to a problem. I was watching, um, I saw a video on the internet this week of a family that was on a little safari drive through one of these wildlife things in Africa. And the family got out of their car to look closer at the animals. Anybody see this video? So, uh, and then the person in the car behind them videotaped the whole thing in horror as they get out to get a closer look at these nice cats. And as the animals start to circle around their family. So the image is this. Look at these beautiful cats. Let's get out and maybe we could pet these beautiful, nice kitty, kitty. That's a lioness. Now, they didn't actually touch the animals, and the people, thank God, survived this thing, but if the, the video's horrific because you think they're going to just get mauled. But here's, the analogy is this. If, if we look at something that's wrong and broken and say, you know what, it's, it's okay, it's no big deal, it's just a social thing, it, it's, um, we're, we're surprised when that thing bites us or causes great problems. Uh, one way we see this play out in our world, there's this whole um, Me Too movement. This is a, a movement which is actually uh, quite positive in the sense that it's exposing uh, sexual harassment and, and sexual assault even um, against women or people in power who are abusing their power in ways that demean and diminish the humanity of others and, and, and demean women. And you, know, you turn on the news and another accusation, another you know, famous or powerful person goes down for abusing their authority in these ways. And we, we say, you know what, at least we live in a world where young people are being raised and they're being taught by schools to respect women. You know, young men are being, you know, respect women and, it, and at least our daughters will go into the workforce and, and be treated as equals and be treated with dignity and respect by these young men. The problem is, uh, this is a generation of young men who are being raised on um, things like pornography and all kinds of images in uh, media and movies and video games that demean women, that objectify women. And people say, well, that's just boys being boys. You know, they're just kind of, this is just part of the world we live in. And we expect them to then go into a workforce and not objectify women. Do you see the problem here? That we, we want 
goodness and we want men to treat women correctly, as actually as God designed, uh, and yet we allow sin and brokenness to uh, shape the minds of young people. The, my point here is that if we want goodness, we need to understand brokenness. And we need to teach virtue and truth and goodness so that we can raise uh, young people to, uh, so that they're not, so we're not warping their sense of what's right and wrong. And here's the remedy here. Look at verse 9. It says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. He will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We don't just, we don't deny, say, oh, yeah, I don't really have a sin nature or sin's not a problem. We say, no, you know, it is a problem, but we have a solution. We have Jesus. We can confess our sins. God will forgive us. He will purify us, but we can't conceal it or deny it. We've got to bring it to him. Third claim. The third claim that will keep you from true goodness is the claim, is this claim here. I don't sin. If the first claim is that, you know, sin doesn't really hurt my relationship with God. If the second sin is, you know, if the second claim is that sin isn't part of my nature. This claim is that, yes, sin would separate me from God. And yes, I do have sin in my nature. I just don't sin. In verse 10 says, if we claim that we have not sinned, we make God out to be a liar. Because God's word says, 1 Kings 8, there's no one who does not sin. Psalm 14.3, there is no one who does good, not even one. Ecclesiastes 7, there is not a righteous man on earth who does what is right, never sins. Isaiah 53, we all like sheep have gone astray. And yet there's people who say, you know, I don't, I don't need to ask God for forgiveness. Famously, our president, when he was candidate, Trump, said, you know, I don't, I don't ask God for forgiveness. He said, and I'm just quoting from an interview, I like to be good. I don't like to have to ask for forgiveness, and I am good. I don't do a lot of things that are bad. I try to do nothing that is bad. And then somebody says to me earlier, you know, you're making kind of a political statement. Oh, no, I'm making a theological statement. Theological statement is when we say we don't need forgiveness, we make God out to be a liar. And whatever, vote the way you want to vote. But it's a pretty famous example of the idea that, well, you know what, I'm, I'm just actually really good. So this whole forgiveness and sin thing doesn't apply to me because I just don't do bad things. And here's the proper view. This is what the Bible says. Uh, in chapter 2, down the bottom of the first column here, it says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also the sins of the whole world. There's a real, real balanced view there of what's going on. The goal of this writing is that we wouldn't sin, that we actually would be good, that we would live good lives and, and live moral and upright lives. But the reality is, so, so that's the goal, but the reality is if you do sin, you know, my hope is that you won't, but if we go too far on one end of the spectrum and say, well, you can, if you're a person of faith, you can never sin. And it would be, you're just way on the outside, and you should never ever, and just become very legalistic and harsh. On the other end of the spectrum is saying, look, 
If Jesus died for our sins and forgives us, then what does it matter? I'll just live however I want. I know that God's grace is right there. And that's license. And over here is legalism. And if we can put away legalism and license, we have this view to say, look, the hope is that we don't sin. But when we do, we have an advocate. We have a Savior. His name is Jesus. He's paid the price. And we can live good lives. And how do we know we're actually doing it? Verse 3, chapter 2, verse 3. It says, we know we have come to know him if we keep his commands. It's, it's I'm striving then to obey. I'm striving to live my life according to how God has showed us. Unlike when I was a Christian teenager, my goal wasn't to, to uh, seek to obey and to strive, you know, how can I pursue goodness? It was, how much can I get away with? How far can you go before you've crossed the line into sin? How, how, when, does, you know, when does celebration and when, does, when do these things cross the line? Just tell me where that line is, because I'm going to go right up to it. How do I know that I'm walking in the light? It's not because I've said a special prayer. It's not because I've had some mystical experience of God. It's because I am obedient. Look at verse 5, the end of verse 5. It says, this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. And it talks about this old command, and it's a new command because light is shining into the darkness. It's this command to love one another. True, costly, sacrificial love that we can have for one another because God has shown true and costly and sacrificial love, Jesus Christ, giving his life on our behalf. And as we, so we've got to start with the reality, yes, sin exists, and yet sin exists in me, and, and I do, I sin. I need forgiveness, but when I receive that forgiveness, I can then be empowered to, to do good and to live a good life and to bring that goodness with me into a broken world, to bring healing in God's kingdom. This time tomorrow, whatever you're doing tomorrow, hopefully you're off work tomorrow, but whatever you're, wherever you are, if somebody... You can live a life of great humility knowing, yeah, you know what? I do fall short, but God is good, and God forgives me. And you can bring you can bring this goodness now with you to the world around. Amen.